right, so let's talk a little bit about freedom, the kind of freedom uh, that we could expect in a friendship with God. So there's this video on the internet <coughs> of this dude and this bear about his size, young bear, but big bear, big bear chase, um, gets a bucket stuck on its head. And this dude, with I assume it's his wife videoing, because she's just kind of like, come on, come on, you got it, you got it. I'm like, <laughs> um, says the person 20 feet away. Uh, he tries to get this bucket off this bear's head. Now, for me, that's, that's heroic and all that, and I love animals, but if a bear gets a bucket on its head, it's pretty much God's will. <laughs> and... Um, so he ends up like running, chasing this bear across highways and freeways, and a couple of his buddies join up to try to catch this, this bear, and they take a, a hacksaw, they got a hacksaw, and they're trying to saw uh, this bucket off, and then they take a, uh, some like pliers and, and nippers or whatever, and finally they get this bear free, and fortunately for them, he runs off into the woods. Um, incredible stupidity, but at the same time... <clears throat> Good for the bear, they pulled it off. I, I suppose it's heroic. Fine line between heroic and stupid. And that's pretty much, did you pull it off or not? Um, but I was thinking that you could almost do like a, like a meme these days where you put like, like me on the bear and then uh, the, the guy's wrestling it down. God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, one of them has skull clearly visible in the back pocket. I'm not sure which of the trinity that is. Um, and then that bucket are these things that we get ourselves into that, that sort of blind us, trap us. And, and what we get from Scripture, <clears throat> I hope we see this in a little bit, is that our life is pretty much like God chasing us around, trying to free us from the stupid things we do and the mess we get ourselves into. And, uh, um, and, and so what we're going to talk about today is, is that, that freeing action because God came to set us free. So I'm going to start. I would love for you to take a Bible from underneath the chair in front of you. And I like, for, I like when everybody does this because then if there's anybody new to the Bible, um, they don't feel like they're standing out. Maybe trying to find stuff, uh, and if you don't have a Bible that you can easily read, just take that one with you. There's a gift. We'd love for you to have it. So we're going to start in Luke chapter um, 4. This is the beginning of Jesus' ministry, and it's on page 1030, 1030 of those uh, Bibles that you have access to. <laughs> and... Um, yeah, so Luke is one of the Gospels. It's a, it's a biography of Jesus, and this is, the, this is when he gets his ministry started. He's at his hometown in Nazareth. <clears throat> says this, down in verse 16. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom, he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, written hundreds of years beforehand, was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. 
He has sent me to proclaim freedom from the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free or to set the captives free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant and he sat down and the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So this is an incredible moment where, where Jesus is at the beginning of his ministry and he's in his hometown. They had known him, they would watched him grow up and he pulls this scripture that was written 700 years ago. There was a very familiar scripture and everybody in Jesus' day and time uh, would have, they knew the Bible inside and out, and there were certain scriptures that were considered messianic prophecies, prophecies that pointed to the coming of the Messiah one day. And so Jesus, this guy that they knew, reads this scripture and says, today this has been fulfilled in your hearing. And he goes and he sits down and it says their eyes were fastened on. This would be like, you know, I mean, I watched Craig Campbell here at Polaris grow up from little boy. Okay, this would be like Craig Campbell comes up here one day to do a reading, and he reads some end-of-the-world prophecy and says, this has been fulfilled today in your hearing. And like, like, this was written thousands of years ago, but right now I'm telling you I'm the one fulfilling this scripture. Like, we'd all probably follow him back to his chair with our eyes, fastened to him, like, who's this kid think he is? Or like, uh, this ain't something, right? You know, that's the situation that Jesus steps into here when he announces that this is... But what I want you to see for the purposes of today, what was the nature of the scripture that he chose? It was the idea that he had come to set captives free. He had come to bring freedom. And so if you follow Jesus, <clears throat> if you're trying to get closer to him, then you should expect that he is at work trying to pull the bucket off your head, right? He's chasing you. He came to bring freedom. So if we're working with Jesus and what he's trying to do with our life, he comes to bring freedom. So what I want to do is I want to talk about, um, I want to talk about a few areas where I see in my own life and in the lives of others uh, we're going to keep it to people like following Jesus right now. So if you don't follow Jesus, if you're just you know thinking about the whole thing, then just kind of overhear this. Um, but most of you relate with this. So you follow Jesus, and there's a few areas where we get like the like the buckets on our head, where we get stuck, where we get trapped, where we get imprisoned. Okay. So the first area that I see a lot is guilt. Um, now I don't like this. Probably isn't one of my main. Sources of imprisonment or entrapment in my walk with God, but I talk to a lot of people, especially with certain denominational backgrounds or certain parenting backgrounds, family of origin stuff. Like you live in guilt. Guilt is a very real thing. So we see this in scripture. We get a biblical example. Um, we look at Peter, pillar in the early church, but at the beginning of it all, Jesus does this miracle with fish. When he's out fishing, when Peter's out fishing, and it says, when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. <clears throat> it's one thing to recognize your sinfulness. That's important. We should all be aware of that. We should never feel like I'm worthy 
uh, I'm equal with or I'm good enough for friendship with Jesus. But it's another thing to say, get away, like when we distance, like get away from me, like when we distance ourselves. And so I see this a couple different ways. I mean, one, and I have in my notes here a little lightning bolt, um, because there's plenty of times when I talk to people and it comes out, you know, I'm a pastor. There's that awkward moment where I'm hanging out with a group of guys and it's like, what do you do? I'm like, oh, here we go. And I'll say, I'm a pastor. And you watch them like try to slide the beer off to the side, behind the, behind the ketchup or something. Um, <clears throat> and then they'll say something like, um, uh, well, I, you know, I'd come visit, but God would strike the building with lightning. Uh, and there's that guilt thing. Like, I hear that a lot. And it's that guilt thing of, of like, I know what I've done, and there's no, like, you know, it's that get away from me, Lord, kind of thing where I could never even too far gone. There's no way God is interested in me. But then I also see it in um, um, uh, an inability to move on from, like, like let's just say you, um, you, you had your, your sin of choice. You binged on your sin of choice. And it can be like, uh, you know, I'm not going to pray. I'm not going to read my Bible. I'm not going to go to church for a few months because I just feel the guilt from, um, from my actions. Uh, so guilt is creating that guilt. You know, I just need to stay away from God right now. You know, you feel that, feel that guilt. I see this a lot, incidentally, um, <clears throat> for my brothers and sisters who have gone through divorce. Um, I have had people come up to me and say, you know what, and I, I get this enough that I, I'll say, you know, am I going to hell because I got divorced? Like this feeling of guilt, like that, that, is, that is, you know, just a felt distance from God. And it's the bucket. You know that that blinds, that imprisons. That okay. Next, next is um, things, acquiring things, desires of this world. So the ultimate example of that comes. Gee, there's this really rich guy, and he wants to follow Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and loved him. <coughs> Sorry. <coughs> One thing you lack, he said. Go sell everything you have, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Now, Jesus, this is an extreme thing. Jesus doesn't tell everybody, you know, you got to sell everything and give it to the poor and, and live a life of poverty following Jesus. This was a, you know, this was an extreme moment in that Jesus was here, there, right now. And this guy's like, what do I need to do? And, and Jesus knew his distractions. And he calls him away from his distractions. But the man, rather than choose um, you know, a faith-based relationship with Jesus, uh, he had the opportunity to a uh, tangible. Like he was going to get to see the miracles, the good stuff. This amazing three-year blip on the radar in the world where Jesus is really there in flesh and blood. And he could have seen that, but instead chose the pursuits of, of, you know, the temporary world around him. And so I see with us, you know, maybe ask yourself, you know, first ask yourself, is guilt my thing? And then ask yourself, how about desires? Is that my thing? Because I see um, <clears throat> whether it be a desire for a social status that keeps us evaluating what we're doing and not doing and where we're spending our time and how, we're, how appearances, the desire for the perfect family, the perfect, be the perfect parent, 
can create a really busy schedule. Fear of missing out for our kids creates a really busy schedule that doesn't include time um, for things that really, really matter. Um, I mean, maybe it's fancy things. It's that Amazon button. Uh, you like the, the fancy things, and, and you, you, know, you got to work hard to get them and maintain fancy things. It's a lot of time. Or it could be the approval of parents, and parents that, have, that are long gone, that like that's what we're really after in life. Um, or it could be you know, sibling rivalries well after you're together in the same house where you know, that, that very worldly, temporary things can keep us trapped in life. So you got guilt, you got desires, and you got aversions. That's my favorite. Okay, fear. Here's Moses. <clears throat> God asked him. Now, this is a big deal because it wasn't like God said, hey, I want you to go join this Bible study. I want you to go serve in children's ministry. This was, I want you to go to Pharaoh, the superpower of the world, and tell him, yeah, let all your slave, let your workforce go. Okay, so this was a big thing. I don't want to minimize. Like, this was worthy of fear, but here's Moses' response. Uh, God, what if, they, what if they don't believe me or listen to me and say the Lord did not appear to you? Like, what if they don't trust me? Next excuse. Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant. Lord, I've never been eloquent, uh, neither in the past nor since you've spoken to your servant. I'm, 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 I'm slow of speech and tongue. He gets all nervous. He doesn't speak well. He doesn't communicate well. He you know, stutters at the thought of being God's mouthpiece. And then finally, here's my life verse. <clears throat> but Moses said, sorry, God, but please send someone else. I'm kidding. That's not really my life verse, but I struggle with that, okay? Um, please send someone else. But you see the fear in Moses? Like, that's his bucket. I'm afraid of all that can go wrong, and who can blame him? There's a lot that can go wrong in this world. And so first, like, what, what's your one? Of those three, probably going to identify a little bit, like, it's a spectrum for all of them that we're probably on somehow, but there's probably one of them that stands up for mine. It's fear for you. It might be guilt. Maybe it's aversion. I'm going to take my time to talk about guilt. Um, because I think it's the one that's probably most pervasive, but I also think that this solution um, is good for well past guilt. Like this, this solution, this story from Jesus kind of covers all three. Okay? So if you'll do me a favor and turn to Luke 15, page 1048, Luke 15. <clears throat> You know, you think about fear while you're turning. If you're wondering if it's fear for you, if you've never joined a group, never got involved in more than attending an occasional Sunday morning, um, you know, never did the Bible study thing, never served in a ministry, it might be fear. That might be the thing that's keeping you from experiencing what God could do for you because you're afraid of all that can go wrong. Just think about that a little bit. All right. So Luke 15 Jesus tells this story which scholars, even secular scholars, consider to be one of the greatest stories ever created, ever written, ever told. And fortunately for us, it's a story about God's love. And it's absolutely inexhaustible. Okay, so I'm going to read it, and then I hope you'll spend some more time with it this week. It's called the um, parable of the prodigal son. Jesus said there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. 
So he divided his property between them. So the son does this unthinkable thing, and he basically tells his dad, you're as good to me as dead. Give me my share of the estate now. And in an ancient world, uh, that in and of itself was just a horrible, horrible, horrible son. Like this is so, it starts out with, you know, in a guild environment. This is, this is pretty bad. Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had. It says the father you know, divided his uh, property between them. And not long after that, the younger son got together all this, you know, this, this newfound wealth. And we're going to see later that the father had great wealth. He set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. Which the older son later on in the, in the parable um, associates with prostitution. Um, like true squandering. This is not like he made a bad investment on XM and crypto. This is like, you know, he, this is, this is like he, you know, blew it all on FanDuel in one night or something like that. 27, nothing. How could possibly go wrong? And after he'd spent everything, there was a severe famine in this whole country, in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went to the high, hired himself out uh, to a citizen of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I'll set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. Now, I think that um, <clears throat> in my mind here, his heart's not right. Like he didn't, with half his stuff left, say, you know what, this is just wrong. I'm going to go back and reconcile with my father. No, he blew it all, and there was a famine, and now he's just sitting in his own misery. He's sitting in regret. It's the, the equivalent of, like, you don't feel bad. You feel bad because you got caught kind of a thing. Okay, he doesn't feel bad. He feels bad because now he's out of money. Um, so I don't even think his heart's all that right. I think he's just come up with a scheme to provide for himself. I think it's still probably some self-centered thinking. I don't think this represents a true... But, but nevertheless, he's going to go back and grovel and ask for his dad to have mercy on him. So if you're a high guilt person, I want you to think that this is, a, this is, this is pretty bad. Like what he did, I don't know what you feel guilty about, but um, I, this, this, is, this is a pretty bad scenario here. Um, this is not a, an enjoyable human being Jesus paints the picture of. Uh, this, is, this is pretty sleazy. Okay? So he goes back to the father, and while he's still a long way off, the father saw him and was filled with compassion for him, and he ran to his son, he threw his arms around him, and he kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on and put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for this son of mine that was dead. He's alive again. He was lost and now he's found. So they began to celebrate. Now there's all kinds of neat things in this. Like if you look at the history of it, uh, he's still a long way off. What would have typically happened in that culture is he would have been like the whole community would have been out to like hassle him 
as he made his way back. Like he would have been shunned. And so the imagery is the father runs to him with the robe, with the ring. Let, let's, let's make sure, like, like let's save him from that humiliation. That's how the early audience would have read that. Not only is there a party being thrown, not only is there a, yep, you're back in the family, son, but he's even saving him from a lot of the humiliation and shame that he would have gotten in even trying to claim. Now, here's what I want you to see. High guilt people out here. Who is the party for? Don't overthink it. Party's for the son. Party's not... In the Father's honor, the party is, so let's have a party to celebrate my grace. That would be justifiable. But this party is for the Son. Kill the fattened calf, let's feast and celebrate this Son of mine. He's back home. He's alive again. All the while, he's got the robe. He's got the ring. <clears throat> There's music and dancing we read on. And so here's what I want you to, to think about high guilt, okay? Um, there's a... Based on your background, you may have been told that you are sinful and depraved and good for nothing and useless and not worth being celebrated. And the thing is, don't lose sight. We are sinful. Okay, the Bible says no one is good. All have sinned. And that's, that's I'm, I'm not saying that to, you know, roll my eyes at it. It's true. We're, we, we're all capable of some pretty ugly things. Um... But this son still has a party thrown for him. This son was worthy to be celebrated in the father's sight. And it's not because of anything he did. It's just, this is my family. My son's alive again. Just for being him. He's here. He's home. Let's celebrate him. And so for some of you, what, well, I think, I think really what we all need. We all need this. We all need to look the father in the eyes and see the excitement on his face and feel the robe on and the ring on and understand that there's a party thrown in our honor just because we're us. Not because we deserve it, but because God loves us like that. And so if you're high guilt, I hope you'll let Jesus cut the bucket off your head. And see that moment when the Father is throwing a party for you because you're worth it. But then I think it helps with the other things too because, I mean, you know, if you're out for gaining the temporary world, but you see the Father's love, or if you're afraid and ditching all kinds of stuff because you're afraid of whatever, I mean, there's going to be a day when we see the Father's love. And yes, we will feel completely unworthy of it because we are but we'll also feel our worth and God's love for us. And I think at that moment, nothing else is going to matter. No earthly thing is going to matter. And we're probably not going to spend a lot of time being afraid of anything when that kind of love that powers the universe is for us. And so I hope you'll take some time this week to kind of meditate on that moment. And really, especially if you're high guilt, see yourself. See yourself as having that party thrown for you and feel all the elements of that party. Now, here's where I want to close. And I don't have a slide for this because this kind of hit me this morning. But I want you to look up 
2 Corinthians 3.16. It's on 1144. 2 Corinthians 3.16. This is how I want to close this. 1144. <clears throat> What's that? No, I'm sorry, it's 1144. 2 Corinthians 3:16 is is what? I bet I put first I bet 1 Corinthians 3:16 through 18 is 11.44, don't look it up. 1 Corinthians, look up 2 Corinthians. Okay. <clears throat> I must not have done the page number in the first service. Here we go. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. So let's think about that bucket on that bear. Whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. This is a passage about a veil, and this is a passage about freedom, and this is a passage about God taking the veil away. So what I want to do is, I'm going to come on up, um, band's going to come up, we're going to do one last song, but I want to take a minute to proclaim some things, okay? So I'm going to, re- I'm going to, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to ask you to proclaim, and I'm going to ask you to, to say it with me, so I'll let you know what you're going to say out loud first. Before you start saying it, it's only fair, right? Okay, here's what we're going to say. I renounce the lie that God doesn't celebrate me. I believe the truth that God celebrates our relationship. So declare that out loud with me. I hope you'll do it. Ready? I'll say it. You repeat. I renounce the lie that God doesn't celebrate me. I believe the truth that God celebrates our relationship. Let's do that one more time. I renounce the lie that God doesn't celebrate me. I believe the truth that God celebrates me. And I hope that this week... No, I'm sorry. Stop. (laughs) <laughs> That's new. I have to remember that for future declarations. So I hope this week that you'll say that a few times. I, I renounce the lie that God doesn't celebrate me. I believe the truth that God celebrates me. God celebrates our relationship. I renounce it and declare it. And I got one more. This is just scripture, so feel free to repeat after me from the start, okay? Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Done. Now, through this song, continue to declare that in your mind. That's what I want you to leave with. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So whether it's guilt, whether it's aversions, whether it's desires, whatever it is, 
Don't allow things to fester. Accept the freedom that Jesus came to bring you.